okay? Um, and I get that, I do. Uh, but I wanna like help you feel a little bit more comfortable with this and talk a little bit more about what is the point of wrath. Because um, I think there's like a real misconception around this biblical idea of God's wrath. Like, and so if we don't understand it, or of course we're gonna feel a little bit uncomfortable with it. But once we get it, I think it actually makes a lot more sense. Um, wrath isn't, God hates you, you know, seeing us have fun, and so he decided to punish us for that. Like, you know, or he looks at us and he says, like, yeah, because you did that one thing that one time, like, now you're going to hell. Like, that's not how wrath functions in the Bible, right? I think that it, it can be easy to see it that way, but that's actually not what it is, okay? What wrath is in the Bible, how it functions, when we talk about how God's wrath plays out through the entire Bible, we're talking about how God sees evil in the world, the same evil that we see, and he says, I'm going to do something about that. Like, I'm not okay with the fact that my good creation that I made is uh, being torn apart by evil and sin and death. And I'm going to do something about that. It makes me angry. It's actually what the word for wrath is there. The Greek word, orie, is used typically for anger. So we can think of wrath here as more of like a righteous anger. Now, we may think like wrath, righteous anger, is stuff that we're uncomfortable with, but like, if you just look around, like, the country and the society we live in, like, we actually love righteous anger. We're really, really good at it. Um, right? we, we, we just don't really like it when righteous anger might include us for some reason. Right? Just think about, like, like, things that are going on here, like current events. Like, we've all heard about the mess that's going on in Virginia right now, right? You have this governor who uh, dressed in blackface, and then you have the lieutenant governor who's being accused of sexual assault, and then... The next guy who would be up in line also dressed in blackface. And, like, there's been a huge, like, hullabaloo about this. Um, and, like, we're, like, righteously angry about the fact that, like, like elected leaders are engaging in this stuff, right? Like, we are righteously angry about that. And, like, we're a society that I think, and this is a good thing about our society, like, we're swift to move to say this is wrong and it should not be fitting of people who live in a good society. So we're really quick to move against that. We even adopt a policy of, of zero tolerance around certain issues. And so I would call that wrath. Like I would call that a wrath or a righteous anger against these things. So I think it, like, if we feel uncomfortable or upset that God has wrath, like we should ask ourselves, like, is it really like, fair of us to say that we can get mad about different things, but it's unfair of God to look and say, hey, this is not okay. I'm going to need to do something about this. Like, if we feel uncomfortable that God exercises righteous anger, like, we need to look in the mirrors as a society and say, why is it okay for us and not for God? So I think that's, that's, what, um, I think that's what we're talking about here, right? Um, now, there is a part of this that I think should make us uncomfortable, and that's the part that says, um, you know, even though we feel righteous anger often as a society, but we're quick to direct it at other people, Ephesians is saying, like, the same evil that we're so quick to see is also in us, right? Like, we are still a part of what's going on in the world, even if we fail to recognize that sometimes. And so, the problem that is in the world, the, Paul said, it's also in us, and God needs to do something about that. If he is going to build this new society with this purpose that we've been talking about, what God has for this purpose for this new society. Right? Let's dig into the rest of the passage here. A little bit more. So um, once we jump back in, we see that the word uh, that Paul uses to talk about how um, we used to live, right? In, in verse two, I have it emphasized there. Um, 
That word in the Greek is actually walk. Peripateo is the Greek there. Um, and when you look at how that word gets used often in, in the New Testament or in the Jewish world around it, like talking about the way in which you walk is a way for uh, talking about um, like the paths that you walk on. Right? So like when we talk about the way in which we live, it's often talked about this is the way you walk. This is the path you're walking on. So think of it like the path that we walk on, right? And really, when we talk about it's in our nature to walk along this path, we don't really have any other paths available to us when we're a part of this world that is, um, that is leading towards death, that is ruled by uh, the ruler of the kingdom of this air, Paul talks about. Like there are really no other paths available to us. So we walk along those and um, it leads to death. So we're, you know, we're dead people walking, or we're the walking dead, according to Paul here in, uh, in chapter two of Ephesians. I've actually never seen this show. I don't really have any interest in it. Zombies freak me out big time. Um, so, but I, I know it's a show called The Walking Dead, so I figured I'd throw it in here. All right, enough about zombies. That's all I want to talk about with zombies. Um, okay. Um, so uh, Paul talks about how like we're dead, right? We're dead people walking. We're the walking dead. And what it means to be dead, I think, when we really break down in this passage, is we're talking about like a consequence of following this path or walking along this path. The consequence of that is death. All right? And there, there are kind of two ways in which that plays out. First of all, we're walking along a path. We're slaves in a sense, even though Paul doesn't use that word, to the ruler of the kingdom of the air something outside of us, right? Some system that we live in that is ruled over by something other than us that, that has set these paths up and wants to see us walk in these paths. Julie talked a little bit about the powers and the authorities last week and how Jesus has been raised up as king over them. And I think uh, that Paul is talking about the same type of forces here, even though he uses different words. And he'll talk about them again in chapter 3 and in chapter 6. So we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about those today. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But that's a reality with that's going on here. There's also a sense, though, that we're following a path, we're slaves to something inside of us as well, right? We're talking about um, something that we live as slaves to, and Paul talks about how our desires often enslave us, right? We, we, and that's the path that we walk along. Um, and this path is something that leads us uh, to, to create like an, an alternate world that is opposed to God and is therefore dying. So I think a helpful way to think about this is, is the way that uh, St. Augustine talks about it. Augustine is an um, influential African bishop from the 300s. And in this book um, that he wrote, which is really thick, um, called The City of God, um, he talks about how there are these two cities, right? And this is kind of the way that he, like, uh, he kind of makes sense of all the stuff that, that the Bible talks about. He says, accordingly, two cities have been formed by two loves earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, and the heavenly by the love of God, even the, to the contempt of self. And you see this uh, play out in the passage where Paul said, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So Augustine says there's a city and it's formed by a love of self, a formed by a following of our desires rather than a love of God or following after the desires of God. And, and I think the way that he talks about it in terms of framing it as a city is super helpful, right? Because Paul has talked about this interplay between uh, the kingdom of the ruler of the air and also us ourselves, right? We're, we're slaves or we're walking according to a path that is outside us but also inside of us. I think the idea of a city is super helpful. 
So let's start at like just the macro macro level here, right? If you look at a history of humanity, and I think again, going back to the idea of righteous anger, like we're 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 taking an honest look at human society, I think, and where we've got where we've come from and where we're at right now in the present. That's that's a, a mark of our culture right now. If you look at the history of humanity, it's a history mostly marked by violence and war and oppression and falling after uh, people's desires to the detriment of another group of people, right? Like, that's just what we are as humans. So if you look at, like, a big picture level of humanity, like, that's what it's marked out by, right? I don't think anyone disagrees with that. And, like, the one thing that all political parties in America agree on is that there's a problem. They stop agreeing after that on everything else. But... But everyone agrees there's something wrong with society that needs to be fixed, all right? So generally, there's an agreement here with what Paul is talking about. Um, and, and when we think of it from a big picture level, again, maybe you think, like, yeah, that's right, society's messed up, but, like, I'm okay, like, right? Like, so Paul's talking here, it seems a little harsh to say, like, I'm a, a part of the problem. Like, I actually think it's crazier to say, like, if this is the history of humanity, and I'm a part of humanity, like, the problems of humanity might also be in me too, right? And that's what Paul is talking about here. Um, and he talks about the ways in which our desires often lead to this. And we all are chasing after our own desires, right? Like, un, un, unfettered, we're chasing after them. This is what creates these larger problems in society. And think, think about the ways it plays out. Like, um, so I work out at a place that has TVs everywhere, which is, I think, supposed to be helpful, but it's kind of annoying, actually, because a lot of the TV programming is kind of terrible. So, like, one TV always has E on, and I can't help but watch it. Even if I'm far away from that TV, I can't help but watch it. And one of the shows that's on there a lot is Botched. Have any of you heard of this show? Where people do really stupid things to their body, and they're trying to get it fixed, right? And, and it's just unreal, some of the stuff that you see. But, like... But, here, but here's what's going on. We laugh at it, right? This is kind of a, a silly example. I'm just more serious ones here. But, like, someone's desire to, like, look good, to have a big butt or something like that, like, led them to, their desire for that led them to have a surgery that looks really stupid, right? And you're like, well, how could anyone have ever let them do that? And it's because someone else had a desire for money. And they said, I don't care if this person's going to have a stupid-looking butt now. I'm going to operate on them and... and, and and do the plastic surgery. So people's desires are leading them to do this stuff that we look at and we're like, this is what's wrong with society today. People are unbotched and stuff like that. But this plays out in lots of other ways too, right? The people's desire for sex has led uh, many to commit sexual abuse or assault, right? We're thinking a lot about that. But it's people chasing after desires that has led to, to all of the societal problems that we see around that. People's desire for food oftentimes leads people to eat themselves into an early grave, right? Like, that's a, that's a problem that we, we can see, um, like just a strong desire for food, we're ruled by our stomach. But the enabling part of that is someone has a desire for money, for making money, for making shareholders happy, and that makes them lead them to produce food that's super unhealthy, right? And that harms the people who can't have the strong desire and they can't stop themselves from eating. So it's just like this, um, the way in which society is built, we're all chasing after our own desires, like leads to, it builds itself up and leads to this like big picture society that we've been talking about. I'm not saying that desires are bad, right? I'm not saying that like the problem is that we have desires and we need to remove desires. That's not the problem at all. But it is what Augustine talks about. When you read other parts of him, he talks about like the problem is not love, 
The problem is we misorder our loves, right? So we direct our love, our primary love, at something other than God. And when we do that, that's when things get out of whack. And that's what creates this other city, right? But when we order our loves correctly, when we order our love for God ahead of all other loves, um, then things are in the right place and our desires flourish in that way. And in Ephesians here, Paul is talking about the way in which God orders our loves correctly. God is actually coming with his grace and like order our loves with his Holy Spirit so that we can be loving God and we can be a part of this other city he's talking about. Okay? So Paul says all of this leads to death. Like that's the end consequence of it. We will, we, we, we are on a speeding train headed towards death. We don't realize it. We don't particularly care either or we disbelieve this but we're headed there. And I think the history of society bears out what Paul is saying here pretty clearly. All right? But, and this is where the, the, the good news comes in, Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So contrary to, again, for, for us who, who read wrath in that last uh, few verses and we bristle at it, right? Contrary to the belief that God, his wrath works out where he says, like, these people are messed up, so I'm going to make them all burn in hell. That's not the response that we see here, is it? The response that we are given is that God says, no, I'm offering a gift. Like, I'm going to give a gift in the midst of this situation, right? And so, like, um, the, 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 the whole thing that God does as a response for this is to say, I'm going to offer this gift that's going to make people do, right? That's going to order their love correctly. And that's what this, this grace that Paul talks about here, by grace you have been saved, is this gift that's been given to us by God that unites us to Jesus and makes us alive. So when Paul talks about how uh, God, um, we were dead, but we were uh, raised with him and we were um, made alive with Christ. He's talking about how when we're united to Christ, Jesus has died, right, on the cross. And when he's raised to new life, we have gone through that process with him without actually having to go through that process, right? So we're united to Christ. His death counts for ours, and his new life counts for us. So we are given new life, and this thing that God is doing, this new society is creating, building it from the ground up, like piece by piece, every single person is a part of it. It's made new by being in Christ. Paul continues on in verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this gift gets given to us by God. It's offered to us. It says, this is given. You don't have to do anything to get it, right? In fact, doing something would actually exasperate the problem because like, when we do stuff, it tends to go poorly. That's kind of the point Paul has been talking about. And it's not just that this gift is given so we can like reflect on it and say, look how great I am. Look how awesome it is to be me. I have this gift. God actually has a plan for this, for this grace that's given to us. And it's a plan that is what makes us his handiwork, right? The goal for this is to make us God's handiwork, not just to save us, but to make us something new, something that God um, 
delights in, right? So when we look at this word a little bit further for handiwork, we get the Greek word poema, which means workmanship, a work of art, a masterpiece, right? Those are some different ways you can translate it. Um, and, and the Greek word poema here is actually where we get our English word for poem. So like this word that God, that Paul says that God is making us into, this beautiful thing that he's making is actually like, we can think of it like his poem. So we are God's <coughs> poem, Paul is saying. And T. Wright, has, he says this about, about this, uh, this passage. This word sometimes has an artistic ring to it. It may be hinting that what God has done to us in King Jesus is a work of art, like a poem or sculpture. Or perhaps, granted what he goes on to say, we are like a musical score. And the music, which we now play, is the genuine way of being human, laid out for us in a gracious design so we can follow it, so we can walk in it. If we go back to earlier in the, in the, in the passage. They are the way of life in which he will describe more fully in chapters 4 to 6. So we're not going to break down exactly what it looks like to be this poem, to be this handiwork of God, but we'll see further in the book of Ephesians as we move on what Paul has in mind when he says it. But what he's saying, this is super significant, right? He's saying that, like, God has this desire to make this beautiful tapestry, and he makes us do. He gives us this gift so that we can be this beautiful piece of handiwork that he's created, right? Let's just pa pause and think about that. I think that is so cool. Um, I think that is so cool. It's not just, like, for us to be saved, right? It's for us to be uh, this beautiful thing that God has created. We're going to dig into that a little bit more, a little bit more as we move forward here. Um, but first, I want to kind of finish off the passage. Um, so uh, Paul also talks about how we're created in Christ Jesus, right? So that word "created" in Christ and that idea of being created in Christ Jesus is not insignificant. Like the word uh, being choosing the word "created" there is like is intentional by Paul. Like Paul is talking about like a new creation that God is making. He's talking about um, how. God has created us to walk in new ways, but this is new creation. Because the old creation has become uh, has been become weighed down with sin, right? The, the kingdom of the ruler of the air has become God's creation. And so God says, I'm going to make a new creation. It's going to start with these people that I'm offering this gift to. That's what Paul is talking about here. So it's this big deal. Like, it's a really big deal, I think. Um, and we actually have this hardwired into our vision and values here at Red City. Um, our third vision, our third value statement is uh, we're new people and we live new lives. This is taken right here from Ephesians. God makes us new people and we live according to that. We, we believe that God has made us new and we walk according to those new paths. And that's like, that's one of our goals as a church, to really see ourselves as that group of people and to try to equip you guys. And we're talking about what me and Julie's goal is from a pastoral standpoint, is to equip you people to live and walk in that newness, to be God's poema, his artwork, his, his, his handiwork. That's our goal in what we're trying to do here with people, just like Paul says. Okay? So let me let's dig into some application here. So we've kind of broken down the passage. Let's just talk about what this means for us, okay? So first of all, we should reflect deeply on the grace and not the works that have made us new. Um, when we talk about what Paul is talking about here with like uh, something coming in that and it doesn't fit well. A good word to describe that. This is taken uh, from from John Barclay, who's a Pauline scholar. He uses the word incongruous a lot. Um, and if you've not heard of that word before, which it's a big word, um, so like it's not a word many people use in their normal vocabulary. But it means not harmony or keeping with the surroundings or other aspects of something. 
So if something is incongruous, it doesn't fit, right? It doesn't fit in the place it's supposed to be in. The gift that God gives us is completely incongruous. It doesn't fit who it's being given to. So think a little bit of, of it like this, all right? This TV is obviously obsolete. I would be very surprised if any of you have a TV like this sitting in your house right now because it doesn't work. Like, it literally doesn't work anymore. Even You can't even get the antenna to work on these old TVs anymore. You have to have a special antenna for them. And if you wanted to plug it into cable or something else, like, it wouldn't work, right? It doesn't have the right parts to plug it into. Um, you can't connect this TV with, like, the new technological age we live in. It literally is not a part of it. It's completely scrap metal, right? It for sure wouldn't connect to something like this, like an Apple TV, right? It just doesn't have the right parts. It's, and so, like, it's completely incongruous with the Apple TV. Even if that old TV worked its butt off, to try and plug into an Apple TV, it literally couldn't do it, right? Its works wouldn't matter at all to plug into this TV, right? Okay? Paul is saying we're like this old TV, right? Our, we don't, it doesn't work for us to plug into this new society that God is creating unless he comes in and he makes a way for it to happen. And so the grace that Paul talks about here is the type of grace that makes it so this old TV can fit into this Apple TV and play this new TV that we're talking about, this new technological age that we live in. That's what Paul is talking about here. Um, grace makes the fit. Grace makes the fit. Another way we can think about God's grace is, some, have any of you ever heard of the, of the organization called GiveWell? I listen to some podcasts, and, and they'll, uh, they'll uh, advertise themselves on here. But basically, GiveWell is a, uh, is a company that helps you like uh, decide where to give your money to. Like it lists charities and it like uh, tells you how good they are at, at spending their money and how much good they're doing in the world. So when you you know decide you want to give some money, you can be really well informed about it. And they meticulously look at charities to rate them so that you can feel good about where your money's going. Right? They do the work for you, so you don't have to. Now we want to a lot of times make you know make sure that we give our money somewhere where it's going to pay off well. Right? Like we want to give it to a charity that's already doing something good because we're not going to do that good on our own. Um, what now, when we talk about like this gift that God has given us, right, because that's what Paul actually says is a gift of God here. He's, we're talking about God deciding to give this gift away, just like we give our gift of money away to some charities. But the difference between God's gift of salvation, his gift of Christ, is twofold. The first one is that God didn't look at some GiveWell website to meticulously determine who should receive his gift based off works. In fact, he said the works don't matter because they for sure wouldn't add up, right? Like if I were rating these people that I'm going to give this gift to, like I for sure would, they for sure would not rate very well. Like so I would not want to give this gift to them. So God's gift is completely different than how we think of giving our gift away uh, to, to, to charities because he is indiscriminate with it, right? Like it doesn't fit with the people he's giving it to. That's what Paul has said. So um, it's like he picked the the bottom charities and gave all his money to that, right? And to actually, like, the way Paul's talking about it, all the charities are the bottom charities. Like, none of them rate well. But God has said, I'm going to give my gift to them, even though they all suck. And actually, and this is the second reason that, uh, that uh, God's gift to us is different than giving it through an organization like GiveWell, is the grace actually makes it so we would rate well, if that makes sense, right? The gift that God gives us makes us new 
makes it so we fit what God is doing and actually makes it so that like we we would be worth giving it to. But it doesn't, it's not because we did anything to get that, right? It's because of what God has done and does do to us to make us uh, closer to that fit, right? The grace is the type of thing that animates us. It it has an efficacy to it that makes us new so that we are we are worthy to receive that gift, even though it completely has nothing to do with us. The second point of application, right, and we're talking about the way in which this gift makes us God's handiwork or his artwork, is I want you to just ask yourself this question. Do I actually, on, on a day-to-day basis, do I think of myself as God's artwork? Is that something that I'm, like, thinking about myself? Because, like, it's really easy, though, like, maybe you're really in touch with the ways in which you're walking according to, like, your desires. Like, maybe you're very aware of it, right? Or maybe you just, like, have this feeling like you're not worth anything at all, right? Maybe you struggle with anxiety or you struggle with negative thoughts about yourself. Maybe you're you're stuck compared, you know, you you go on Instagram and you just look at all the amazing lives all your friends are apparently living and you just think, man, I wish that was me or something like that. And you just are dragged down by that, right? Maybe you are very aware of the mistakes you made in the past. Like you're you're weighed down by guilt. If you're in Christ, right, if you've accepted this gift that God has given you, then that means God sees you as his artwork. He sees you as his handiwork, which is like a mind-blowing thing. I hope that it's a mind-blowing thing for you. I hope that if that is you and how you view yourself, that like you take more stock about God, the God who brings life out of death, the God who created the world, the God who, who raised Jesus from the dead, what he says about you, if he says you're his handiwork, I hope that means more to you than how you're feeling about yourself. Like I, I really hope that, that you can you can grasp that through God's Holy Spirit. Last week, Julie talked about us knowing God, right? This idea of this deep, experienced knowing. Like, this is something that God wants us to know, too. That we're his artwork, we're his handiwork. God cared so much about this gift that he was willing to give this gift by dying for it, right? Like, that's how the gift had to be given. And he so badly loves us, so badly sees us as his handiwork that he's willing to die in order to make that uh, take place. He, he took people who, um, who who only give themselves up for themselves, right? If we're looking at the rest of this passage, people who chase after desiring their own desires and chasing after those, and he gave up his own desires, his own very life, to make them new. That's what Paul's talking about here. Our last point of application, or sorry, um, is, right, God loved us, right? He, he gave himself up for us. We are God's handiwork. All right. And our final point of application here is I want you to ponder like what good works God has for you. Right? So Paul has said, right, we are God's handiwork made for good works that he has for us going forward. Now our works leading up to that, they don't matter, right? And our works afterwards, they don't matter. We're not we're not doing anything to earn or, or attain this gift, right? But the purpose that God gives us this gift, aside from our works, is so that we can walk in these paths that um, include these good things that God has for us. And so I want you to ponder what are those good works for you, right? Um, it should include your gifts, right? We're all talented. We all have gifts to offer, right? And one of the ways that we apply those gifts, like I think that Paul has in mind for us, is to put them to use in good works, right, that God has for us. Like, we should use our gifts um, in accordance with this gift that has been given to us. Um, 
Each of us has a unique, unique way that our gifts are going to play out, right? We have people who are serving here at the church in all sorts of different ways. And none of us are any better or worse than each other, right? The people who are leading worship are using their gifts. Those are the good works that God has put up for them. Um, the people who are serving and setting the space up, they're getting up really early on Sunday mornings where it's really cold and usually terrible and everything's frozen and we can't get it to move out of the parking lot. Like, they're using their gifts to serve in that way. Those are the good works that God has for them. Maybe your good works are, are applied um, at the place that you actually work during the week, right? Maybe your good works are applied in um, staying home and caring for your children, right? Like, whatever those things are, I want you to ponder what those good works are, right? And ask yourself, are there good works that God's calling me in my neighborhood, the office, in my home, in my city, in my work that I'm, like, not living out right now? But I have an impetus to live those out now because God has given us the gift of his grace for a purpose of making us his handiwork so that we can walk according to the path of his good works that he set out for us. And we have plenty of opportunities here at the church to do good works. And that's, again, that's one of our that's one of our goals, like, is to be doing good work in the community, right? Because we believe that God has set that up for us. Like, that's our reason that God has made us new, and the reason he's creating this new society is for us to go and do that. So as we close now, we've outlined the grace that is the reason for all of this here and why the church has even existed for the last 2,000 years. And we're going to uh, respond in worship, okay? That's how we end every service here. We respond in worship. Um, we worship through song. We worship through taking communion. And we also uh, worship through giving. That's another way that we can worship God. And so if you're interested in giving, we have a box in the back. Um, you can give online as well. I believe on, on the info card, um, if you grab that, we have information for doing it there. Um, we're going to celebrate communion. Um, we we, we uh, celebrate open communion here. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus, but please come up and, and take part in the table, right, in doing the remembrance of grace, like remembering what it took for this for this gift to be given to us. And we do that each week in remembrance uh, in communion. So as we do that, as we enter into this time of worship, um, as we pray and as we sing, I want you to ponder um, the grace that made us whole. Ponder the good works that God has for you. Ponder what it means to be God's artwork. Whatever it is, whatever it is that God is calling you to ponder, I want to invite you to do that while we uh, worship. Um, I'll pray to close us, and then the worship team will come on and play. Father, we thank you for the gift that you have given us of your son. We thank you that you uh, didn't meticulously rate us based on our um, based on our good works, but you threw those aside because you knew that would actually uh, count against us. And you said, you, you say, it is not at all about our works. It's not all about who we are or what we bring to the table, but it is instead about you and your gift that you give to us that makes us new, makes us your handiwork. And we thank you so much for that. I pray that you grip our hearts with that as we leave this week. Um, and that if people are leaving here um, feeling poorly about themselves, feeling anxious in any way that um, the understanding that we are your poema, your, your artwork, will grip us as we leave this place. Father, we, we, we pray a prayer of thanks to you in your son's holy name.